You're listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. Well, I want to thank you guys for coming out on a Labor Day weekend, and... um you know, I was telling Debbie this weekend, it's time. I, I got to buy a large print Bible. Like, I got to do it. Don't, don't buy them for me, please. Uh, you know, I know that, you know, well-meaning people, this is an emotional thing for me. There's just no way. There's no way that I can, I can actually read that. Oh, yeah, we got to pass the basket. I forgot that we do that now. See, I need Greta. I don't, how do I live? Thank you, guys. Somebody's like, uh, somebody's ringing. It's Jesus calling. Yeah, it took Maybell about five years to figure out how to silence her phone. I don't know, maybe at like a, never mind. Honor the, the fathers and mothers in faith and don't. Don't make fun of them as much as I want to. <laughs> so um, I want to welcome first-time family, too, as well. If you're a first-time family with us online or uh, in-house, I want to welcome you guys. Uh, my name is Paul David Guidry. I am the uh, cantankerous senior pastor here, senior leader. Um, I had spine surgery a month ago, so this is my first Sunday back. And it's good to be back. It's good to be back in the house. I'm doing okay. You know, what I've learned, uh, or at least relearned in this whole process, is that um, with all deference to uh, Justin, who's not here today, which is fine, because he, he's a neurosurgeon as well, um, but surgeons don't, you don't really listen to them. Uh, you got to talk to the nurses, because the surgeon was like, oh, you'll be fine in a week, you know, we'll do the surgery, you'll be fine in a week. So, uh, you know, we had, um, I, I was originally scheduled in May, and then I tested positive for COVID, and then, you know, everything gets rescheduled, and everything's pushed back. And, um, you know, but originally I had planned to have spine surgery. And then like two weeks later, I was going to fly to Los Angeles for our global summit conference um, that, uh, you know, that we're invited to. And, um, you know, fortunately I talked to the nurse and, and she was like, oh, no. You're, you're, you cannot fly in two weeks. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, I'll be fine in a week. He's like, oh, no. She's like, this is going to hurt. Now, you weren't prophesying over my life. She was just telling that this is the reality. And so I, I, I woke up, and I, her, her words rang true. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that, you know, the first week, you know, was probably the first two weeks were, were difficult. And then it's, it's been a kind of a steady climb since to goodness and restoration and all that kind of stuff, um, which is good. I'm still catching up. I want to thank everybody for the texts, the Facebook Messenger messages, the Instagram messages, and in all the other ways, and all you know the 600 emails that I still have backlogged. Um, I will, if, if I didn't reply to you, I still love you. Um, or maybe I just tolerate you. And I, I, but no, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm catching up. Um, and, and it might just mean that I'll do one of those little heart things that, that, you know, people do just to let you know that I've read it. But 
I uh, do want to thank you for the food as well. I know Deb uh, thanked you guys last week, was it, or two weeks, whenever that was. And, um, you know, it's hard to keep up on messages when you're really hopped up on drugs. So, um, you know, I don't have that excuse anymore. Now I just, I got to catch up. But I want you to turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles 6. And, you know, in full disclosure, which I pretty much always fully disclose, mostly for my own amusement. Um, my heart was really to uh, do a teaching on the month of Elul, which we are in now. And it's the close of the Hebrew calendar for the year. And it's really a month where traditionally there's a lot of self-reflection um, and... Uh, Psalm 27 is, is a big chapter, something that is meditated upon daily during the month of Elul. And I love it. And, uh, you know, I've spent years in Psalm 27 and uh, just every year I go back through it, I go back through it, and there's always something fresh. There's always something new that pops out out of Psalm 27. But uh, I, I was asked to go, uh, some of you guys know uh, Josh Pereira Josue, uh, he's a, a barber. And I don't think I'm betraying anything. He would tell you his story, and he has in the past. He doesn't make it here uh, often on Sunday mornings, but he does occasionally, and then some other events. But the first time he came to church here, he uh, came with a girl after a night of partying. They were leaving Boston, and it was they were drunk and high. And she uttered an expletive in the car and, and said, we're going to church. And I still remember the day they walked into the back, uh, probably close to 10 years ago. What year is it? 2022? Okay, probably like uh, eight or nine years ago. And they dawdled in in their club clothes, uh, clearly a mess. And I was, you know, mildly amused at the sight. But he was uh, in addiction, like serious addiction. Not the kind of thing that you can just break. You know, it wasn't just a night of partying. This is something that had totally consumed his life. I'd never met him in my life. And, you know, in, in those days, we, uh, you know, we did, uh, you know, worship often during the week, during the day, and the prayer room was always open. The prayer room is still always open, by the way. Um, and he would just come and sit in the prayer room. Not often come on Sunday mornings, but he would always come and sit in the prayer room. He lost his family. He lost his job. He had lost everything due to addiction. And he hung out for a while and then he disappeared for a couple years until he wandered back in. He said, Pastor, I need help. And we walked with him and he was, you know, with his now wife, Jennifer, at the time. And she was a trooper during all of that. But we walked with him. He got a job barbering again. His reputation began to rise in that world. And there came a time where I sat with him and I said, okay, you've been working for people, but now it's time for you to pastor people in the marketplace. And so he launched his own barber shop. And then not long after that, he launched a second, he launched a third, and now he has five shops in the Boston area. And he was able to buy a home, 
renovate the home. It's gorgeous. They live in Holliston now, Teresa. He, okay, it's a good town. And he asked us to come. Well, actually, I thought he was asking us to come to lunch. And then two days prior, I found out it's a, it's a big Brazilian party. <laughs> they do it big all the time. So I was like, oh, we got to dress up and do And I, uh, you know, he wanted me to speak and to pray. So that's where we were yesterday. And as I very briefly was just thinking and, and just asking the Lord, what do you want to do? And before we went, I, you know, I knew that there was going to be some divine appointments. So I knew it wasn't going to be just walking in and walking out. Because I'm, you know, I'm not really a big party person. I'm not a, you know, I, I let Debbie lead with the social stuff usually. And, you know, I kind of just sit. But I knew and there were some things that I was, I was going to do in the evening yesterday, and I was like, that's not going to happen because I knew that there was going to be some divine appointments. And it's good that you, when you get the warning, it's good for me when I get the warning because, you know, yeah, sometimes those divine appointments, when it's not exactly convenient, that's not my, you know, I can get, I can get a little cantankerous and cranky with the Lord too, but he, the king always has his way. So I want to be clear how that works. I mean, I, I can be like, God, really? This is what you want to do right now? And he's like, yeah, do it. And so I just very quickly just read through some things in Second Chronicles 6 and 7, and it began to wreck me. And the Spirit of God not only rose up within in me, but he moved upon me in a way that I haven't felt in a while. And I began to even... Uh, uh, just posture myself in an attitude of worship, and even at the house. And after we left, and I came home, I was just postured in this attitude of worship. And of course, it was my first day out for a, a length of time, and in my mind, I thought I was going to come home and then just come straight here, and then by the time we got home, uh, and I was, you know, in a position where I could turn around and come here and just kind of pray and worship. Uh, I realized that my body was saying, maybe not. So I made my man cave sanctuary, which I often do. And sometimes we get caught in this, I'll call it a trap. That might be slightly dramatic, but probably not. It's probably accurate where, you know, we come into these corporate gatherings, especially if we've been doing this for a while. And we, you know, in, in musician terms, you know, we execute a song. We, we do a song and we do it well. And maybe, you know, we, we, we get a nice feeling inside and we're worshiping and it's, it's nice. But what we're actually being asked to do is to be enraptured by the presence. And to be enraptured in his presence means that you have to step out of the stuff of yours. Thank you. I probably should be sitting in that, but you know how I roll. And not everybody, I understand that not everybody has had that experience of what it's like to have every fiber of your being, of your consciousness. It's one of those words you say it and people are like, oh, he's new age. No, I'm old age. I'm eternal age. 
He was before all things, and in him all things consist. All things hold together. It's that God. We meditate on the nature of his being, that we have the opportunity to have every fiber of ours be consumed by his. It is possible. It's not only possible, but it is what he so desires. And I understand the sentiment of the revival movements of the 90s where, where we were constantly told that, you know, we need to forget about our neighbor because we have so many inhibitions in our humanity. And we're afraid of what it might look like if we are consumed by this God who is an all-consuming fire. We've been so conditioned by a Western worldview of what doing things decently and orderly, what that actually looks like, that we view it through the lens of humanity instead of through the lens of divinity. Reading Genesis to Revelation, the totality of Scripture, what is decent and orderly to a God who is a consuming fire? What does it look like when the presence of God descends upon a mountain in thick black smoke with thunders and lightnings, with even voices and the lightnings of God. When I see that and when I begin to imagine it in all of the ways, all of the times that, that there's smoke, there is thunder, and there is lightning. There is sound, there is light, there is motion when the king of glory comes. And one of two things will happen. We will either rise to our feet in enraptured worship or we will fall on our face as though dead. And even if we fall on our face as though dead, he will step down into our moment. And he'll say, rise. Fear not. He understands that where we are in humanity on the other side of the fall that there are aspects of him that we just can't contain that the sound of him before the fall was Abba the sound of him after the fall we view as judgment but he has come to seek and save the lost that is the God that we serve And there comes a time as believers, as we mature, that more and more it becomes a sheer act of the will to strip away the stuff of the day so that we are not consumed by our circumstance, but we are consumed by him in the midst of it. That's what it looks like to be an apostle in chains in a prison and to worship at midnight and the chains fall off and the prison doors open. But because they were so enraptured by his will, by his voice, by his way and his purpose in the moment that even though freedom in their physical sense was before them, they remained because they, they, they understood there was a deeper purpose in their suffering. What does that look like for us today? Sometimes, you know, sometimes I sit with people and they're like, I hate my job. 
This person in my workplace, they're, they're so, you know, they're, they're mean or they're not nice or my boss is so dumb or what, whatever the case may be. And we lose sight of the purpose that we have in the midst of darkness. That we can step into a place even on our worst day and the light that he has placed in us is brighter than anything that person that you disdain has ever experienced before. That's what it looks like in a sense where his power is perfected in weakness. Now he does that as an individual, but he also does that with people. One of these days I'll just do an entire teaching on that alone. What does it look like to have his power perfected in weakness? You know, I've always thought about it as, as just some act of divine will, but the more and more that I've read scripture, the totality of scripture, I began to realize, oh, wait a second, he uses people to perfect his power in my weakness. What does that mean? He puts people around us that are strong in areas that, are, that we are weak. And the problem with that in our humanity is that someone else's strength might become an offense to our weakness. And so rather than allowing their power, the power that God has placed on them to, to bring some perfection into the weak places of our life, we become offended at what they are great at because it exposes is our weakness not recognizing and not realizing that, oh, wait a second, but there's something that, that he has put in me. There's some place in me that's strong where they are weak. And if I lay down my right to be right, if I lay down what I think is my right to be offended, then maybe, just maybe, we will join arm in arm and we will move forward in a way that is the body of Christ. We will move forward in a way where the fullness of Christ actually dwells. Got to get to the scripture here. I've quoted a few already. Never go to Best Buy when you're on drugs because you're going to buy things. Decided I had to have a new iPad. Oh, it's so nice though. <laughs> I got an iPad Pro, Michael. He's always like, we need an iPad Pro here for ministry time. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. Now I have one. I'm like, woo. It's nice. Every day that we gather, every day that we rise, we have a decision to make. And I'm not 100% successful. I don't even want to measure what my success rate is. But we want not to be known as people that go to the bridge. We, do, we don't want to be known even as, oh, that church person. I'm okay if somebody calls me a Jesus freak, but I don't want to be known as a Jesus freak. I want to be known as one who has been with God. See, the, we'll get to we'll get to stuff. I I don't I don't know who I'm talking to. All I can say is that there's a hunger in me, and there's a an awareness of His presence that I haven't felt in a long time. 
See, when someone calls, and I don't know if people still do that, they, you know, they call you a Jesus freak. When I, I was in the marketplace and, and, you know, the people that worked for me, they, they would call me a Jesus freak. But I began to recognize that that's a word that they use to keep you at a distance. That's a, word, that's a phrase that they use because they're uncomfortable. But when they're around you enough and they begin to recognize that you're not just one that adheres to a religious structure, but this is one who's actually been with something that is greater than what I've experienced. They go from calling with Jesus freak, they go from that space to actually coming and sitting at your feet. I mean, I had legit fireside chats at work. Not because I initiated anything, but because people would come and sit around me and ask questions. People that I didn't even like in some cases. It was one of the facilities that I was uh, managing. I mean, I walked into that place and after two weeks, I wanted to fire everybody. But I'd long since learned that the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Maybe God has something for them even though I want to kick them out the door. See, people will put labels on you because then they don't have to get to actually know who you are. But when you have made the decision that you're even on a Sunday morning, that you're not just going to come and execute a song or you're not going to come and watch our worship team execute a song, well, but that you are literally going to allow yourself and not only allow yourself, but pursue him in such a way that you are enraptured, fully absorbed, fully entrenched in his presence, that everything grows dim. Like that old song that I quote so often, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of this, earth, of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When you look upon him, everything else becomes subservient. Every circumstance, every suffering, every pain, every uh, ill word spoken against you bows to the name of Jesus when you allow yourself to truly seek him it's a decision everything is an act of your will you have as much of him as you want today and if you feel like you don't then you say, God, I need you. Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. I'm not going to move from this place until you bless me, God. I so need to be known as one who has been with you because, God, my weaknesses are so great, but your strength is more powerful than, than any weakness I possess. God, you've given us a body. You said if I be lifted up, you would draw all men unto me. And so when I look to my left and I look to my right, I see some strange and weird people, God, but they are strong 
therefore I am weak and I will not be offended because I recognize that I don't have a right to offense. I have a right to the cross, but on the other side of the cross, there is a resurrection God. And so I have died to sin, but I'm alive in you and you have placed me in the midst of a body so that you could cause all the fullness of the deity of you to dwell and to rise up. I am not individually a temple, but I am part of this great temple that is rising and the glory of God is filling the temple once again. Breathe, oh God, on us today. So, I don't want us to execute the elements of a song. I, I don't want us to get enraptured in a sound. I want us to release a sound because we are so enraptured in him that nothing short of his manifest presence will do. How hungry are you for that? Or are you just marking time? Too much of the church is just marking time. We have a we've had a taste. Some of us have had a, a taste even of dead religion that's been injected into our veins. And it's become almost like an inoculation against the real thing. And back in the, those days where I led worship all the time, so many times I would sing and declare, I want the real thing, God. And people would come up to me after a service and they would say, oh, you know, worship was so good today. And my first heart response was, but I haven't seen his face yet. It's the thing that propels me. It's the thing that keeps me moving. And, you know, some people will say, well, you know, no man can see the face of God and live. I'm okay with that. If that's how I go out, I'm good. But I know that there's levels and we can't ignore the fact that Scripture says and admonishes us to seek his face. See, that's what religion will do. It will reach in to a word that is spoken in truth, and it will use another word to discount the truth that is spoken. Because the structure of religion fears the life of the Spirit. Why? Because the life of the Spirit will tear down the structure's that are dead. If your skin had a voice, and you know, an aesthetician might disagree with me on this, but let me have my own metaphor. If your skin had a voice, it probably would not want to be exfoliated. Like, I don't really know what a chemical peel is, and I don't know if people still do that. But it doesn't sound fun. It seems like a high price for beauty. Or, you know, I know people do the Botox thing. 
yeah, let's go ahead and just inject botulism in our skin so that we can look nice. And now they're using it to, to uh, you know, uh, treat, uh, you know, concussion, post-concussion syndromes or CTE or what, you know, all the things, migraine headaches, they're doing all kinds of things with that stuff. It's good, so it works. But I'm just saying that we have, you know, if you, I broke my arm, no, be honest with you, a girl broke my arm when I was in seventh grade. I did lie about it a little bit. I went to the BMX, you know, the bike shop to get, you know, some new parts for my bike. And, and uh, the guy was like, oh, did you break your arm riding? I was like, yeah. <laughs> but my dad was there. I'm in seventh grade. And he's like, no, his ex-girlfriend broke it. Yeah, I was in junior high. I had a girlfriend. I had one a year. That's irrelevant, but... My point is this, when you break your arm, the last thing that you want to do is have it set. Like you know in your mind, oh, this thing needs to be set. You want it fixed, you just don't want to know about it. I don't know what they do now, they probably make you more comfortable back when I was a kid. We had to walk uphill both ways to school and when you had stuff set, you were awake for it. So I'm in seventh grade. We go to the, the minute clinic. I don't know, it was some doctor we went, used to go to in Marlboro. And he brings out this big needle. And then he injects it into the space where my arm is broken. Now you think that that's a good thing. It's not. It's about 15 seconds of Hades before you don't feel anything, but let me tell you, when you're in seventh grade, 15 seconds is a long time. Because you don't think this is ever gonna end. The last thing that you wanna do is have something fixed. But when we step into the presence of God, And he begins to exfoliate our old ways with Jesus, the true nature of who he really is, so that we will be effective in purpose and glorifying him. There might be pain in the process, but the power of resurrection is always on the other side. Jesus even said, in this world you will have trouble. And yet we still ask God, why is this happening? Well, he's in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. And are we having troubles on the earth today? Yes. But I've also read history books, guys. Humanity has been in a world of hurt for thousands of years. But thanks be to God, he has raised up a body of Christ in the midst of the trouble so that we can stand even in the midst of our suffering and be known as a people who have been with God. That's what 
the writer of Hebrews is talking about in Hebrews 10.39 when he says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are a people of faith that preserve their souls. What does that mean? Is that when God comes on the mountain with his manifest presence, that we're not afraid, we're not seeing or hearing or experiencing the sound of judgment, we are recognizing this is a place that I need to be in the midst of the fire, not shrinking back from it. Whatever it means for my life, is God safe? Maybe not for you, but he's going to transform you into a place and into a space where he elevates you into a fortified place of safety in him. And that's what the deacon Stephen recognized in the book of Acts when the heavens opened, even as he was being stoned to death. He had the greatest revelation of Jesus that he had ever seen in his life so that the rocks that were being hurled at his head suddenly grew strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And the church exploded across the world from that day forward. So, Second Chronicles 6, the context of this is Solomon is building and dedicating the temple. I mean, it's been built. They're ready to roll. And you've got to understand that Solomon came into power as a teenager following the greatest king that had ever lived on the earth, King David. And he is a teenager standing up in the midst of his father's administration with all of, uh, you know, you've got to understand the humanity of the moment. You know, people that are kind of like, oh, now we got to follow this kid? Like, we serve David. That guy was a baller. I mean, he, he took all, I mean, he, he didn't lose. Now we got to follow this kid? You better believe that he felt that that he felt ill-prepared. That's why he went up to Gibeon and sacrificed thousands of animals. And, and he, his soul was so stirred that even if God spoke to him in the moment that he would not have heard. So God did what only God can do. He could speak to him in a dream. And he said, hey, I got stuff in my heart for you. Why don't you peer into my heart and tell me what I'm about to give to you? And he said three things in that moment that for a ruler of any day was so humble. See, humility didn't mean that he had to disavow his position in life. Humility meant that he understood who he was, but he understood who God was. You cannot be humble unless you really know who you are. See, much of what we call being humble is actually being timid. Because children of royalty understand who they are and the, the authority that they carry because they bear the name of the king. And that authority grows in faithfulness. Newborn babies don't have authority. But as they grow and they mature, 
they're given more responsibility. And as they are faithful with responsibility, there comes a time where they have authority. See, the problem is that we've taught as the church that, you know, when you're in Christ, you just have authority. Well, no. Authority comes in faithfulness to responsibility. Even Will's getting it. So Solomon fulfills his purpose by building the temple. But as he's on the mountain as a teenager, he says three things that I almost forgot to tell you. It's not in my notes. He said, the throne is David's, the people are yours, and I am your servant. Oh God, that the presidents of our nation would say that before you in a secret place. Solomon wasn't saying that he wasn't king. He didn't abdicate the throne, but he understood that even in his station in life, he recognized the supremacy of the living God. And that enables him then to carry out the purpose and the promise that was given to his father David, that a son would be born to him and he would build the temple. So 2 Chronicles 6, and I'm going to read some out of 6 and some out of 7. But we'll start with 41 and 42. And then we'll roll into chapter 7. It says this, Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let your godly ones rejoice in what is good. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember your loving kindness to your servant David. Let me just stop there for a second. How many of you know that it's okay to tell God or ask God to not turn his face from you? See, a religious structure would say, well, he's always looking at you, therefore you don't ever need to ask for that thing. It's like a lot of people will pray, well, you already have the fullness of God, so why are you asking for more? Because that was the cry of revival days, more, Lord, more, Lord. And then people would say, well, you know, we have the fullness of the Spirit. We don't have to, we don't have to ask for more. And then I look at that person and I say, well, if you really had the fullness of the Spirit, I think there'd be more happening around you. If you really have all of what God has for you, then you would be like John Wesley who would say, you know what, I just set myself on fire and people come to watch me burn. That's what the world needs today. See, it's really not so much about you. It, sure, it's about you because he wants you. He, he wants to bless you. You're his beloved. He, you know, he wants you to know who you are. He wants you to fulfill your quote-unquote destiny. I don't talk a lot about personal destiny. That's a, an American church thing. As you travel the world and you speak in multiple cultures, you begin to realize what's actually just sort of how we take the word sometimes and we begin to cater to a Western worldview instead of just saying kingdom come. 
And I'm, okay, look, I want you to fulfill your personal destiny. I'm fine with that. But I'm just saying that your personal destiny is subservient to the destiny of the bride of Christ. Your destiny is in connection with brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's, that's why we forsake not the gathering of ourselves together. That's why the, there's this false demonic doctrine of demons out there that says, oh, I don't have to go to church. I am the church. No, you're not. You've never been the church. We collectively are the church. And then we, we have, there's so many people that are, are wallowing in their stuff, but they haven't been faithful in the one thing. And we go from church to church to church because in our mind, in our intellectual mindset, we think, oh, the Lord is leading me on, or I need to differentiate from this place because I'm starting this life over here. No, you need to be faithful. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit, and it always will be. And I'm not saying that because I'm afraid people are going to leave. Look, I'm just saying people ask, they, they come to me, they're like, oh, I, you know, I want you to disciple me, I want you to mentor me, and I'm thinking, do you really? Because I'm probably going to make you cry. And you can say you agree with me or you don't agree with me, but what I'm saying is that I've been places where most people have not been. And I don't say that in pride. I say that because I understand what it's like to be completely enraptured in the presence of God where all you feel is the pulsing, coursing fire of the living God burning away the stuff of your life because he wants to present you like pure gold. I know what it's like to be the first one in and the last one out of meetings of people gathering because they're so hungry for God. Day after day after day, year after year after year, because all I wanted was Him. It's all I had. And it's easy to pray reckless prayers when you're in your 20s when you don't have anything. But as you grow and as you acquire stuff that will burn, it can get more difficult to say, God, do what you gotta do in me to bring me where you want me to be. It's a dangerous prayer for the comfort of life, but it's so necessary. Come on, Will. So even Solomon in this place, he says, do not turn away the face of your anointed. What is he saying? He's saying, God, I need you. Don't you turn away and don't let me turn away. God, I appreciate free will, but would you overthrow mine? Would you keep me in the center of your name? That's what Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17. Keep them in your name. There's that space of his name that's on the move, and we gotta stay in the middle of it. Because if we stay in the middle of it, it doesn't matter what kind of mood you woke up in the morning. When you leave your house to go do what you're gonna do, his name will irradiate from your being because his presence is bigger than your momentary moods. And even that's a dangerous thing. 
So moving forward into 2 Chronicles chapter 7, it says this, uh, verse 1. Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. Have you ever experienced a moment where you could not get from point A to point B because the presence of God was so heavy? He's still doing that. In our day, I, I've heard stories. I mean, I, I had a, a, a spiritual father. He was not mine personally, but he was a spiritual father to many. He's Canadian. And he was speaking of this young man who later fell because he was elevated into a visible place of ministry before he had the maturity in Christ to handle the weight of his calling. Because sometimes leaders see a gift and they want to own it and they want to place that gift on display before the person is ready. Sometimes we need other people. We think we need other people to validate our faith instead of just allowing Christ to be the validation. You see it all the time, like someone in Hollywood gets saved. Maybe they get saved, maybe they don't. And then we put that person on display or someone in the entertainment industry, somebody that everybody knows, and then we bring them into stadiums and have them minister when they're still babies in Christ because we think we need someone else to validate my faith. I don't. I have Jesus, the one who is seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father, and there's thunders and lightnings proceeding from his throne right now. I don't need a movie star to validate my faith. I want to surround that person, put them in a secret place so that they can grow and mature and be the son or the daughter that they were called to be. I don't need a poster on my wall. I need Jesus in my heart. So the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And all the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come, Verse 3, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped, they gave praise to the Lord saying, truly he is good. Truly his loving kindness is everlasting. In that moment, I mean, it had to be scary. Look, fire came down and consumed the offering. And there have been times when fire fell and Israel shrank, shrunk back, but at this time they recognized Abba. Not the judge, not the God that they think is going to come punish them, but they recognized, oh, this is, this is the one that David talked about as our father. And this is the place where he will dwell. And that's his fire falling down to consume the offering so that at least in this moment we can cease from our labor and just bow in adoration to this God that we love. So what happened in these verses? Number one, God responded to hunger. 
Do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember your servant David. Remember the promises that are in your word. Do not pass me by. God responds to hunger. I don't care what anybody teaches you. It's all over the word. And if you're not hungry, that means that you have not utilized the things that he has already fed you. I said this, I don't know, maybe last month before I was out. We love that scripture. They that wait upon the Lord, he will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings as eagles. You can't have a strength renewed that you haven't spent. And some of us sometimes feel like we've spent strength, but we, actually what's happened is we become what, like what Peter warned us of, that we become nearsighted and blind. We've forgotten that we've been saved. Because this, his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. That's the promise. That's the word. That's the great excuse breaker. But sometimes we become nearsighted and blind. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ Jesus. There's always an empty tomb on the other side of the cross. So God responded to hunger. Number two, God manifested in fire. What is fire? Fire transforms substance from one thing to another thing. Anything that is impure in fire is burnt. Number three, God released his glory. And we say glory so casually sometimes. But there is a glory, a level of glory that is so palpable that you simply cannot do any other thing than be in that moment with him. Not only was I first man out, last man out, first man in, last man out in, in a lot of these meetings, but there were times that I would go down to the church on my own and I would just stand alone in the sanctuary and I, I would worship. And there was this, this one night in particular where I was just worshiping God. I was probably somewhere between 25 and 27 years old. I'm 50 now. Ooh. It's all right. It is alright. And the presence of God came in that space so heavy that I was afraid to open my eyes. There is this awe this might of the God who spoke creation into existence and it just continues to be upheld because of a word that he spoke in the beginning. That's how powerful he is. And when he just makes the decision to actually respond in a way that is above and beyond anything that we could ever ask or think, there's a moment in time that our frailty 
is so exposed in his divinity that we fear our very existence. And his presence lifted, and I went and I sat at the piano, and I wrote a song in about five minutes, and the, the lyrics began like this, Lord, I struggle to stand before you. Your grace I never seem to grasp. Now, some people had a problem with that, where because, oh, you can always, you can always grasp his grace. Well, he's given grace, but I couldn't wrap my brain around it in that moment, because in that moment, I knew who he was, and I knew all of the stuff in me that I'd harbored, even meeting after meeting, and thing after thing that I went to in the midst of revival, there were still things in me that I hadn't surrendered. There were still thrones, what Paul Keith Davis called the thrones of the soul, that I hadn't surrendered to him. And in that moment of frailty, I, I looked at him and I was like, God, you know me and you still love me. And I would get these prophetic words about how, how pleased God is with you. And, and I would think in my mind, but God, you know me. You know the issues of my heart. But still he loves you just because he loves you. And so the chorus of that song, even though I had just come out of his presence, was... Show me your glory in the beauty of your sanctuary. Show us your glory. I don't play that song very often, but when I do, it's I don't want to just execute a song. I want to be enraptured by his presence. Because his presence just changes a lot of situations in our lives that we can't change in our own. Man, I saw couples who are on the brink of divorce have marriages restored like that. Didn't solve the behavioral issues. They, they still had to work on those over years, but like decisions had been made, yet God moved. I, I saw a man who lived next to the church who he was in a motorcycle gang. He was candidating for Hell's Angels, but I remember he showed us all his scars from stab wounds and things like that. But he came into the church building, and this man who was a tough guy, alcoholic, all of his issues, he crawled. He didn't he wasn't even there for the whole service, man. He walked in and the power of God hit him and he crawled from the back of the church to the front, crying out, Jesus, would you help me? That's what manifest glory does. That's what happens when a people decide, I don't want to just come and mark time on a Sunday morning. I want to be known as one who's been with this God who is coursing with power and fire and thunders and lightnings. And after the fire fell and after the glory came 
It was so thick that no one could move from their space except to bow. His people declared his goodness. What are we going to do with a God like this? And it's in the context of this fire, it's in the context of this glory, it's in the context of God's goodness revealed that we then get to move forward in these oft-quoted scriptures. Second Chronicles 7, where God responds and he says, if my people, in verse 14, who are called by my name, that's you, that's me, if we've said yes to Jesus and made him the primary authority, of his life. There was somebody who said to me this weekend and said, you know, hey, I I really love God. And my, my thought, I didn't say it because sometimes you don't have to say truth, even if it's true. Sometimes you just got to follow the, the breath and the wind of the spirit and know when to speak and when to stay silent. But here is the litmus test. Here is the marker for those who love him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what I command. You can show up to church and you can leave. You can you know, tattoo a scripture verse on your arm and you, whatever you want to do. But that, that's not a marker. And it was never a marker for your love for this king of kings. Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what I command. Always. That's what faithfulness looks like. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear. I will hear. I will hear. It's not optional. We're saying, God, why don't you hear me? He is hearing you. Just bow before him. Allow yourself to be enraptured in him. And he will hear from heaven and he will forgive sin and he will heal this land that we love called New England. And then he says in verse 15, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. Oh, I believe that is so, not only for this place that we call the Bridge Metro West, but more so in the hearts and the spirits of this body, this assembly that you You've gathered together, God, that you will never depart. He, Jesus said, I will be with you always. He ain't walking away. But sometimes we do. But sometimes we have an encounter like that, and it's in our nature that we just think that that is the, the pinnacle, that is the epitome of this life in Christ, is this mountaintop experience, this moment where his glory comes so that no one can move. And then we feel like if that lifts, that somebody screwed up, somebody quenched the spirit. Oh, so many critics of revival, they came out of the woodwork when that sovereign move began to lift. But God always lifts his presence. Why? What happened after the glory? What happened after the moment that the priests couldn't enter the temple because the glory was so thick and everybody just fell on their faces before him? 
What happened after? Well, the people got to work. I mean, crazy work. They sacrificed 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. Just that alone should make you thankful for the cross. Can you imagine like PETA camped out outside of here while we're like sacrificing animals? But the perfect lamb of God, the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the earth came to be the perfect sacrifice for all time so that he could fulfill his word and say, as far as the east is from the west, I cast your sin from you. And so we're living in the the filth of our history sometimes that he's long since forgotten because he cast that thing from you. What happened after the glory? It says the priests stood at their posts. The Levites picked up their instruments. Yeah, they made some noise. They ate some food. They had a seven-day feast. And then after that, it says they went back to their tents. They carried the weight of their encounter into everyday life. Every time God moved on the mountain, the people always had to go back down to the valley. And so while we think that that's the epitome, that's just the launching point that might put us in a prison at midnight so that we can worship for all the prisoners to hear. And God strikes the ground with a sound and the earth quakes and chains fall off and prison doors open. But even that freedom wasn't the purpose. The purpose was to save the one jailer who was about to put himself to the sword because he was sure the prisoners that were so valued were about to run. until the apostle cries out from the very space that sought to imprison him. So wait! Don't do it! We're still here. Because I know that Jesus didn't come to pull me out of my circumstance. He came to save me from myself and to be glorified in the midst of it. We're so busy trying to escape the very place that he's put us for his glory. Sometimes. Oftentimes. But maybe he's put you there to actually be the light of the world, to be the salt of the earth, to be the one that the time is coming. They look at you and say, ooh, that guy's been with something that is greater than what I've experienced. That guy walks with a peace that is beyond the intellectual capacity to comprehend. I was in my early 20s, pumping gas, smoking cigarettes, doing my thing, but I'd still been touched by him. 
in such a way that people drove across town to come to my gas station that was more the most expensive one in the town just to look at me and say, why are you so happy? And I'm thinking, I'm not. It's 6 a.m. and I'm pumping your gas. But even in that moment, I realized, whoa. His goodness is so great that in spite of me, he still is. I just want you to bow your heads. I love that scripture, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. I also recognize that it's a scripture that sometimes some have used to beat the heads of others with. (laughs) But when you read it in the context of what's actually happening here, you understand the beauty of the Lord. You understand the goodness of his nature that he so desires to cause to blow forcefully over your faces here this morning in such a way that you will leave from this place, you'll go back to your quote-unquote tents with the weight of the encounter that he wants to give to you today. But if you haven't encountered him, you will have nothing to carry when you go. Don't leave empty-handed today when he is pouring out so much. We're going to open online ministry in just a moment. I want to call whoever's on ministry team to come up. And I want you to just take a couple minutes. And I'm going to ask the worship team to sing over you. And I want, I just, you got to, it's got to be an act of your will to allow him to move upon you. And if you don't know him like this, we're going to introduce you in just a moment. But just keep your heads bowed. Just stay, just create a secret place right where you are right now. Because if you go from this place without an encounter, you won't have anything to carry with you into the place that he's called you. Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidry is the senior pastor at The Bridge. For more information about The Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.